It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Garrett Wilson. Wow! What a catch! Touchdown, Jets! That kid's amazing. Gibson on the return. Near side. I don't see any flags. Gibson inside the 30. Hits the Jets. And he's going to go. Just win it. Touchdown, rookie Xavier Gibson. Game over. Allen has time. Intercepted. Sauce Gardner's got it. Allen tripped up. He could not get past Jermaine Johnson. Oh, look at the speed of Brees Hall. He's done it again. Brees Lightning, 62 yards for the touchdown. And he's sacked again by Quinton Williams. What a beast, number 95 for the Jets. Listen. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for midweek news and notes. So for that, we bring in our friend who covers the Jets for AM New York, Mr. Nick Faria. Nick, I didn't expect there to be this much news for the Jets in the middle of the week when they're 4-8. and eight. But, alas, they have decided to give us a lot of news to talk about today. What's going on, man? Yeah, no, great to be back. A uh, lot, lot of stuff going on, you know. It, it, it's crazy to think how where we were at the beginning of the season. We were talking about, you know, at this time of year, the Jets could be in playoff contention, and, and right now it's it's quite the opposite. There's, you know, a locker room issue potentially. Uh, there's a quarterback quandary. It's a lot of different stuff that are going on. Only the Jets, it seems. Only the Jets. <laughs> well, Nick, let's talk about the big news first, and that, of course, is C.J. Ozama on season-ending IR. I kid, I kid. <laughs> We will get to that later, of course, but let's start with the quarterback situation. Touched on this a little bit with Chris Mano on yesterday's show, and of course, Brian Bassett and Josh Conrad touched on this a tad on There's Always Next Year on Tuesday, but everybody knows the story by now. Really quickly, Diana Rossini and Zach Rosenblatt at The Athletic reporting that Zach Wilson had expressed hesitancy to want to play again to people inside the Jets building. Who that actually is, we don't know. Could have been players, could have been coaches, could have been somebody that works in the front office. I have no idea. And the extent of the comments is also something that nobody knows. It could have been something as simple as him talking to a couple of players and letting out the fact that he was a little bit nervous about playing. Ah, Maybe it's not the best thing for me to play. Maybe I'm better off not playing and not risking getting hurt. And that became him being hesitant to play. No way to know that, but that was the story. And then, of course, we know what happened with Robert Sala coming out at the press conference saying that he was not made aware of this. Somebody in Zach Wilson's camp came out and said that it wasn't true and that if Zach Wilson was asked to play, he would play. Tim Boyle ends up getting released. The Jets signed Brett Rippon, who they had wanted to try and get earlier in the year, but the Rams promoted him to their active roster so that they wouldn't lose him. But then he wound up on the Seattle practice squad, and then the Jets poached him from there. So Boyle goes from starter to out of a job in two days. And now the Jets announce officially today that Zach Wilson will get the start at home against the Houston Texans on Sunday. So Nick, a lot to unpack here. Please do your best. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's obviously a multi-layered thing. I've been saying it now for the last couple of days. But ultimately, let's start with the athletic reporting. I know a lot of people um, were kind of questioning it because of all the anonymous sources. And a lot of people don't like when anonymous sources are used in these particular stories. I'm one of those that agree Uh, that I don't like anonymous sources because, you know, there's always that twinge of, well, what if someone's making it up? Now, I'm not saying that Diana 
or Zach is may are either of them are making it up. Those are two of the most celebrated um, and excellent reporters on this planet right now. Um, what they did, what their research shows, clearly it's based on fact. Clearly, it's based on the work that they did. But I can understand why people were a little frustrated because if you're within the Jets organization. Put your name behind your words. That's essentially what Aaron Rodgers said the next day as well after the report came out. It wasn't that Rodgers was angry at sort of the report. He was angry that no one would put their name on the paper and say, well, yes, I said this. Zach didn't want to go out there and play this week. Um, So I kind of get it from Rodgers' perspective because if you're really this upset and you want to go to a reporter about this, then put your name on it. So I understand Um, That kind of process. I also understand Zach Wilson's point of view where he's a backup quarterback and he was expected to not see the field this year. He was expected to learn the game and grow right behind Aaron Rodgers. Aaron gets hurt. All of a sudden, he's thrust into the starting lineup. And now the fan base that was already angry with him has to deal with him for an entire season. And Zach was not the main problem with this team, there are a lot of different outlying factors. The offensive line being a mess because of injuries, the play caller not being overly excitable. It was clear that the team wanted him to just take what the defense gave and not take any chances down the field and all those different issues. There were a lot of different factors that that led to Zach Wilson's benching outside of just his play. And his play wasn't that good, but there were a lot of factors as well. So when you add all those included – And you add in the fact that Zach was benched two weeks ago. And the thought was he's he's played his last down. They're looking for a spark, all that other stuff. And now to turn around two weeks later and say, hey, we need you. You need to come back in and play for a 4-8 and team for a fan base that doesn't want you in there and has been booing you pretty much all year. It's a very difficult situation, and it's not an easy situation to deal with. That being said... It would be an incredibly weak move on Zach's part if he sat there and said, no, I'm not going to play. This could be my last starting job ever. This could be my last job in the NFL. No, I'm good. It would be an incredibly, incredibly weak move, which is where I think a lot of people were standing at. Like They understood why Zach would be apprehensive. But for this to come out publicly, it's not a good look for him in his NFL career because now people outside of the Jets organization are going to say, is his heart really in it? And from the stuff that we've learned today, uh, we spoke with Robert Sala. We spoke with Zach Wilson. Both of them vehemently denied the report. Zach specifically, I thought he handled today's presser about as well as I've ever heard um, a quarterback could have in this situation. He vehemently denied the report. He vehemently denied speaking to anyone regarding these anonymous sources about him being reluctant to play. Um, This isn't to question Diana's reporting because Diana's reporting is correct. And I, I, it would be foolish to even question someone as seasoned a reporter as Diana Rossini. Uh, But Zach Wilson had a very, very strong press conference today, essentially saying, I'm the guy, I'm the starting quarterback. I wanted to be the starting quarterback and there's no issues here. Uh, And the other piece with that with Robert Sala is, When you make a move for a quarterback like this who maybe was reluctant to play, what does that do for the locker room? Does the locker room turn on Zach? Does it turn on, you know, Robert Sala himself? And so far, you know, we talked to C.J. Mosley, we talked to Quinnen, and there's been no concern that this locker room is anywhere close to being fractured, which, again, I've been saying for a while is uh, is a testament to Sala's 
duty as a head coach. He's done his job uh, in keeping these guys together. So a lot of layers to this, a lot of uh, a lot of off to the side kind of stories you have to think about. But ultimately, uh, it's safe to say that this is a mess. But Zach Wilson and Robert Sala did their job today to sort of limit the damage there of saying, listen, we're moving on to the Houston Texans. This is a non-story. Let's go and focus on football. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Nick, let's talk a little bit more about what's going on at quarterback here because we discussed the Zach Wilson part of this. Now I want to talk about the Tim Boyle, Brett Rippin part of this. As I said, Brett Rippin brought in here because he knows the system and he's familiar with Hackett having played with him last year in Denver, which were the exact reasons that we got for why Tim Boyle was here all this time. Now, Rippin better than Boyle, but that's a low bar. The Jets clearly decided after seeing Tim Boyle for the last two weeks that he wasn't going to get it done. Whether Rippin even gets a chance here, who knows? But I guess this is just one of those where they saw an opportunity to get a guy they thought was better than the one they had. So that's more or less what happened. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting with, with the Tim Boyle saga because even Robert's answer today, I didn't really quite understand it um, because if they were going to cut somebody or they were going to cut one of these three quarterbacks, you would think it would be Trevor Simeon because he's had the least amount of experience in this locker room. Um, and, and again, Boyle's been around here since the offseason program started. Um, so it was very interesting to see that he was released. I know they have liked Rippon for a very long time. They wanted to bring him in uh, at, in September before they were blocked from doing so. Um and Rippon shows a lot of solid stuff on tape, not to say that he's going to be the savior, uh, but he's a quality backup quarterback that can go in and run an offense, uh, particularly in the Hackett offense um, in and of itself. The the thing that I'm interested, though, I know a lot of people were trying to sort of say that Tim Boyle was the rat that said, uh, oh, Zach wasn't doing this and, and he didn't want to play. I would pump the brakes on that because that would mean Tim Boyle essentially is no longer going to play in the National Football League, and I don't think any backup quarterback would want to do that point blank. Um, again, this isn't to refute the report from from Rossini. This is more to refute the the thought process that Tim Boyle is a rat, in you know, and that and those kind of things. So I'm still interested for the full reason why they released Boyle. Um, because Salah's message of, listen, you need three quarterbacks. We wanted, we had to cut one, and Tim was just the next guy on that list, particularly after making two starts. Very interesting, um, and I, just, I don't know if we're going to get a full answer at this point late in the season with just five games to go. Nick, you just talked before a little bit about Zach Wilson and Robert Salah addressing the media. Can you dive in a little bit more on that? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because – Again, like I said, I was very impressed with Zach Wilson's demeanor today. Um, he wasn't beating around the bush. He wasn't trying to you know, skate around some of these questions regarding this report. He was vehemently denying, and it was vehemently. And it was one of the stronger press conferences that I have seen um, from a Jets quarterback this year. And, and, and that includes Rodgers, where Rodgers was very deliberate with his answers, and Zach was very deliberate today. It was very, very impressive. The one thing that I was interested in, Salah, was actually um, based on a problem that he had over the last couple of days with Joe Benigno, um, WFAN host, basically quoting him and his text messages back on the airwaves of WFAN. And 
you know, it was interesting because Robert Sala, we know him to be a great guy. We know he's a great defensive coach and a locker room presence. But I think a lot of people were questioning why he had such a nice relationship with Joe. Um, and it basically came back to bite him in the ass here because Joe essentially put out a story that, you know, Sala hated Zach Wilson when in reality it wasn't anywhere close to that situation. Uh, I believe the entire story was Joe sent Sala a six-part plan to fix the Jets this season, and part three was bringing Zach back into the starting lineup. And this is coming from the same guy that wanted him benched two weeks ago, and Sala essentially wrote back, are you serious about number three? Essentially making fun of the fact that this is the same guy that wanted him benched. And I think most people would have recognized that that was the case, and it wasn't him dishing on Zach. It was more... Listen, you guys want me to bench him? Now you want me to start him. Make up your mind. This doesn't make any sense. Um, and then Joe kind of bit him in the ass there because if Sal is going to be this locker room guy and have the players respect, you can't be talking to some of these WFAN hosts like this and giving them the trust like that because they will bite you in the ass. Um, and I know Robert Sal said he has no regrets. Um, I can respect that. Uh, but I think you learned a very valuable lesson here about trusting certain people uh, and particularly certain radio hosts, because that was utterly ridiculous when you add in everything that was going on with Zach Wilson. Uh, it was just it was just a, a comedy of errors over the last couple of days where every single time you turned, there was a new story to talk about. Um, and, yeah, I think I think this is a big learning experience for Salah in this situation um, and he doesn't have any regrets. He still likes Joe, he said it. Um, but ultimately, this was not the finest moment for either WFAN or the Jets head coach. One person that we know would never be texting with Joe Beningo or sharing any kind of personal or professional information with him is Aaron Rodgers. He is not happy <laughs> about stuff like that happening right now, and he let it all hang out on the Pat McAfee show, ripping the organization for what's been going on. Talk a little bit about Aaron Rodgers' most recent appearance with Mr. McAfee. Yeah, you know, it's it was pretty obvious to me that Rodgers didn't refute the report about Zach Wilson. He refuted the part where he spoke to them, spoke to him and basically said, listen, you need to play. Um, but for the most part, he was more angry at the anonymous sources. Uh, and that kind of tells you exactly what he thinks. You know, he talked about it and saying this has no place in a winning organization. Uh, and of course, he's absolutely correct. Uh, but a sign of, of anonymous sources and all that other stuff, that stuff only comes from teams that are starting to lose trust in the organization, starting to lose trust in the message uh, that the head coach and general manager are bringing in. I don't think that's the case. I think that Robert Sala's position is safe so long as the locker room stays intact. But the more these anonymous sources come into play, the harder it's going to be to make it seem like he has control of this locker room. And I know Rodgers continues to back to Sala, Douglas, and Hackett, um, but these anonymous sources are a sign of an organization that is not structured properly and not tight knit as much as you want. You're not hearing these type of link, these type of leaks with the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, with the Dallas Cowboys, Philadelphia Eagles, San Francisco 49ers. The contenders in the NFL just don't have these kind of these kind of leaks. And if the Jets are going to be in that conversation next season, they've 
got to clean it up. And right now they haven't done so. Rodgers, I thought, I thought he had a great quote yesterday where he felt that he was changing the Jets' sort of moxie and the structure of the organization when he was there every day in training camp, in OTAs. And then when he went down, it was sort of just a natural backslide into what everyone knew over the past few years um, in the in the organization. I think that's a perfect encapsulation here where people, if they're not happy, they're going to talk about it to somebody, but they're not going to put their name on it. And that's something that does not happen with contenders. And I think that's something that, Sol- uh, that excuse me, Rogers made very, very clear. It's not okay. And when I get back in the, in the saddle, this is this ends now. It's interesting because the assumption, and I think it's the right assumption, is that barring something unforeseen, Salah, Douglas, Hackett, all back. I think Hackett, the most safe of all, just because of how close he is to Rodgers. But you have to wonder if these leaks, and as you said, the perception that things are getting away from Robert Salah, could be the one thing that does him in. Because if the Jets wind up losing all the rest of their games, and these leaks continue... It's very possible that Aaron Rodgers looks at it and says, this guy can't control the locker room. I don't like the media. I don't like these leaks. Maybe we go in a different direction. So Sal has really got to be careful here because if there's anything that could turn Rodgers against him, it's that. And if he doesn't have Aaron Rodgers as an ally, it's going to be very difficult for him, especially if the season ends as badly as everybody expects it to end. Well, yeah, and I, you know, I, I said this earlier today, and and I stand by it. But when you look at the Jets' record last year, seven and ten, they they lost their final six games, and everyone wanted Robert Sala fired. Everyone wanted him to change in the organization because they missed the playoffs and just the offense collapsed due to poor quarterback play. But what people fail to realize is that that seven and ten season was actually a three-win improvement from Salah's first year. And when you judge based on what it was that the improvements made from last year, you would call that, for most rebuilding teams, a success. Most of them, outside of the ending. So when you judge based on the two-year window, you you had to feel like they were going on the right track and everyone wanted to just assume that Salah was going to be on the hot seat if he couldn't win with Rodgers. And I think that is so difficult. And that's why Woody Johnson did not put a playoff mandate on this team this year. He was adamant when Rodgers was traded that this was not a playoff mandate because things can happen and things can change, as we've so seen. But if the Jets can find a way to get to six, seven wins again, and they match their win total from last season without Rodgers, I think it's very, very safe to assume that this brass will be back because there are coaching staffs and teams that have given players and coaches who did not make the playoffs their first three years that extra year of, okay, this is it, buddy. You got to figure it out now. And then they go out and produce the Kyle Shanahan's of the world with the 49ers. The 49ers in Shanahan's first couple of years were absolutely horrific. It wasn't a good team. It wasn't a good organization. People were trying to call for John Lynch's head because the players weren't working out and they weren't winning. And now, because of their patience, they have been rewarded as one of the dangerous teams in football, if not the best team in football. So... There's always that sense of patience that has to come in, but at the same time, you have to show improvements. 
And if you can't show improvements in the in in the win and loss column due to injuries, you better show improvements based on the locker room. And the one thing that I will say to Salah, these guys are still playing. They're still together. Unlike past years, that's a big feather in the cap. And if that continues, I think there's going to be a lot of players that try to stand by Salah at the end of the year, even if Woody won't want to make a move. Let's talk a little bit about C.J. Ozama and move off of the quarterback situation for a second, Nick, because I did mention C.J. Ozama before. He was placed on season-ending IR. Kenny Yaboa called up. It appears this is probably the last we'll see of C.J. Ozama in a Jets uniform, and that's a sad thing because people had high hopes for him coming in. Him and Tyler Conklin were considered significant upgrades from what the Jets had had at tight end the last couple of years, and to be fair, that's a very low bar. But Ozama never really did much as a receiver. He wasn't very good as a blocker, got called for a lot of penalties. I know that he's a guy that does well with the media, but he was just a major disappointment here. Three years, $24 million, did not pan out. The Jets, unfortunately, have dead cap numbers of close to $6 million next year. And then because of a restructure, they're going to have to get charged 2 or $3 million in dead cap in 2025 as well. Sad to see that this is the way it ends for C.J. Ozama, but now we'll see if Kenny Yaboa can do something. And of course, we'll also see what happens with Jeremy Ruckert, who will continue to get more opportunities. And of course, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but remember, it's looking more and more like the Jets are going to have a top 10 pick. There is always the possibility of a player that a lot of people think is a generational tight end prospect. Brock Bauer is waiting in the wings as well. So the tight end room shifts a little bit here, and C.J. Ozama's career with the New York Jets likely comes to an end as he goes to season-ending IR. Yeah, it's a shame because Ozama, you know, was always very kind to the reporters, very respectful, uh, and I do wish him the best in his recovery because uh, it's not an e- in- easy injury to recover from. Uh, that being said, I think when the Jets signed Uzama and Conklin, um, the expectation was they'd be able to use that two tight end set. I don't think they expected a player like Ruckert to be available when he was as a potential pass catcher. And I know Ruckert hasn't had the best year this year, um, this being his second year. But I think with Aaron Rodgers in tow, he's going to be a perfect tight end player. Um, That perfect, you know, third down valve for a quarterback that they can utilize. So I think Ruckert being drafted is going to change their plans a little bit. And that's why I'm always reluctant to spend money if I were a GM on positions that aren't valued as highly. I know the tight end position is important for a lot of different teams, but if I'm talking about a value of a position, I'm valuing the tackle, I'm valuing the quarterback, and I'm valuing the number one receiver. And with Garrett Wilson in tow, it's hard for me to talk about the value of a team being smart when you are paying tight ends the money that they are. So this is a very clear example of of Joe Douglas trying to plan for something, plan for an offense that he had, and then that plan sort of was deviated due to the draft success that they have had. I know a lot of people like Ruckert as a prospect. I do as well. I think he's going to have a very solid career. But this kind of shows that the value of certain positions needs to be fair. And when you don't, you can get in some very murky cap situations like the Jets are in right here with Uzama. Nick, last order of business, let's talk injuries. What's going on with Brees Hall and John Franklin Myers? Brees Hall didn't practice today. That's a little concerning. 
Yeah, a couple of ankle injuries for both guys. Um, the one thing that I will say is just because they didn't practice today does not mean that they're going to be in a concerning effort uh, for game day. This is kind of what the Jets want to do. Wednesday is always the sort of rest day. It was the same thing from Makai Becton, who was off on the side field today. Uh, I Again, same thing. I always try to preach patience here. Thursday and Friday is where these injuries usually become limited and full participation uh, days for, for these particular players. I know for a running back like Brees Hall, a guy that has power and speed, you don't want him participating in practice all the time because you don't want him taking the pounding that running backs do. So I think ultimately in the long run, I think you'd be seeing a lot more Dalvin Cook as they try to save Brees' career for these stretch runs of playoff teams. So maybe that's the case. Maybe we see that over the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, but it's definitely something to look forward to in the last month because obviously they're not bringing Dalvin Cook back next year on this money that he's making now. And you know that Brees Hall is going to be back. So why would you give him 20 to 25 carries or 20, 25 touches when you can play other guys to potentially take the load off him so he's coming into next season fresh and ready to go? Nick Faria covering the Jets for AM New York. Thanks so much for coming on and breaking down the midweek news and notes with me. And boy, was there a lot to unpack. Really appreciate <laughs> it. For those who want to check out your work at AM New York, what are they going to find and how can they follow you on social media? Yeah, as always on Twitter, Nick underscore Faria1720. Uh, we're going to be discussing a lot of different things over the next couple of days. The quarterback position, uh, what happens with Zach Wilson and Robert Sala, and also a little tease of what we were going to be talking, what we were just talking about with Brees Hall. Is it safe for the Jets to start openly tanking by sitting some of these great players uh, that we are going to see next year and keeping them fresh going into the offseason? All that's going to be on the table. We'll be discussing that. A lot of fun stuff to be looking forward to. And of course, the draft is coming up. The draft is getting closer. Uh, we got to have those conversations because as of right now, the Jets have a sixth overall pick. It can get to as high as the number two overall pick if things go well over the next couple of weeks. That's going to be interesting, Nick. I keep talking about how you know this is going to come down to the Jets and the Patriots the last week of the season. And the Jets are going to wind up beating the Patriots, breaking the streak, but at the same time, both pushing the Patriots into a franchise quarterback and pushing themselves out of either drafting a generational type of prospect like Marvin Harrison or the ability to trade the pick that could be a quarterback to another team that would give up a ton of assets that the Jets could use to rebuild this roster around Aaron Rodgers. You just know as a Jets fan that that's where this is heading. But as you said, <laughs> lots of draft talk to come, both with Nick at AM New York and, of course, here on Play Like a Jet, my buddy Walter Cherapinski of WalterFootball.com will start joining us to talk about all the draft stuff. Make sure you check out everything Nick is doing and everything we're doing at PlayLikeAJet.com and the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. Some Awesome All 22 breakdowns on our channel, youtube.com slash play like a jet. So if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and do that and watch our videos. Check out our store, tpublic.com. That's teepublic.com. We've got the John Franklin Myers, Quentin Williams, bless you, thank you shirt, the play like a jet logo shirt, caps, mugs, hoodies. It's all there. tpublic.com. That's teepublic.com. And be sure to give us a five star review for the podcast on iTunes. If you haven't done that already, easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and PlayLikeAJet.com. 